Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Um, we've had a couple of technical issues over the last couple of days. Now, you might have found that there are a couple of recordings where bits are missing, and I am going to completely blame SoundCloud here, and I'm speaking to you live from Audacity. So, this is a kind of a new dawn for the Explaining History podcast, and if we uh, have a, the odd glitch... Um, do forgive us, but uh, hopefully this will be uh, a far better recording experience. There's a, a title I've been having a look at for some time um, that I, I kind of wanted to, to get into today. Uh, it's a book called Roots and Culture, uh, Cultural Politics in the Making of Black Britain. And it, it looks at a period of time from the 1950s through to the, the 1980s. Um, it's by an excellent historian called Eddie Chambers, who um, argues that uh, Black Britain uh, that, emer- that emerged uh, in the 1980s, the sort of uh, Black British society that uh, um, had developed by the 1980s, was quite quite different from um, that which um, kind of existed in the 1950s. The first wave of um, black immigration from the Caribbean had um, a kind of uh, a, a particular worldview, a particular uh, outlook uh, and a particular set of values which are kind of historically, culturally and socially shaped uh, and, and partly the uh, legacy of, of empire itself and that the the next generation of um, black people in Britain uh, were shaped by the not the experience of life in the Caribbean obviously uh, but experience of life in Britain and the experience largely of of a fairly hostile culture to which they they had been uh, introduced to, Um, one which their parents had not not really kind of anticipated or expected. Um, 
and that in itself created um, certain kind of uh, outlooks, ideas, beliefs, uh, connections and senses of our identity. It's a fascinating book and one that I, I really hope to return to an awful lot in, in the next few months. So to begin with, we're going to have a look at the, the actual uh, opening uh, of the book, the, uh, the preface, which tells us an awful lot about the, the kind of the argument that we'll uh, for follow through over the next few months. Um, Eddie Chambers writes, This book is about the cultural formation of Black Britain. It seeks to address the questions of how and why a distinct cultural identity centred on African-Caribbean experiences took such dramatic and definitive shape during the 1970s, leading in turn to an unprecedented period of black British creativity during the early to mid-1980s. How and why did a group of British people, who had in many respects been brought, under, uh, brought up under the British flag, upon arrival in Britain, come to have such markedly different cultural formations as compared to their white counterparts, who were raised under the very same flag, albeit on home soil? And how did this generation of Caribbean immigrants give birth to a generation of British-born and or raised youngsters who had come to fashion a cultural identity that was in so many respects unlike that of their fellow white citizens with whom they had gone to school and on the face of it shared so many experiences? The late 1970s and early 1980s marked a moment of particular intensity regarding the manifestations of black consciousness. While much of, the, uh, of this consciousness bore the hallmarks of a generation ill at ease, bridling against somewhat Ill, the somewhat ill-fitting garment of Britishness, it is right that we do not lose sight of the fact that Black Britain of the 1970s and the mid-1980s, as a consequence of this consciousness, gave birth to an extraordinary breadth of creativity. Art, music, poetry, theatre, literature, all these fields reflected not just the fractiousness of being black and being British, but also reflected as um, an as yet unsurpassed and unrivaled period of creative brilliance. While this book is about the manifestations of culture and cultural identity, at every turn experiences within social, political and educational arena have a bearing on the narratives of roots and culture. So much so that ultimately it may not be possible to entirely separate that which is social and political from that which is cultural. This is hardly surprising because time after time experiences reflecting the somewhat marginalised status of black British youngsters has a direct bearing on matters of their cultural identity. For example, the widespread unemployment and underemployment from which black youth suffered meant that they had more time on their hands to reflect on matters of group identity, in some instances consciously, in other instances less so. If we just turn to that for a moment uh, and look at that as, as a, a means of helping us to understand the formation of identity, that if the common shared experience of black people, uh, the, particularly the second generation of um, black people in Britain um, from uh, the, uh, the West Indies um, during the 1970s and 1980s, if their common experience was more a, a greater likelihood of unemployment, a greater likelihood of employment discrimination, 
then a certain certain outlook will, will emerge. And it wasn't necessarily an outlook that was shared by the previous generation. One of the uh, one of the things that is kind of often overlooked is the degree of patriotism and the degree of loyalty and the degree of uh, commitment to the monarchy and to the idea of being British that many Caribbean immigrants had. The idea that um, there was a place that um, was going to be welcoming to them and that they, they kind of belonged to. Of course, they were British citizens and under the, the, the then rules of the British Empire. They were British passport holders. And that passport had, for many, an immense sense of um, significance and pride. The actual reality of growing up in Britain um, was, was really uh, something that shaped the next generation. And of course, growing up in Britain during a period where uh, Britain's, uh, Britain's prospects from the late 60s onwards and throughout the 1970s and into the 1980s are in gradual and steady decline uh, and things are becoming harder for many people um, is a, a kind of an identity forming process, it's an identity forming experience, it's an identity forming time um, where the uh, the empire upon which the sun was would never set um, was a kind of reduced to gradually a um, a small North European outpost that is uh, experienced as it did throughout most of the twentieth century relative relative economic decline. In this respect, unemployment meant more than simply a lack of, an, of earned income. It became simultaneously a state of being which created its own conspicuous presence on the streets, a presence that the police were wont to view as suspicious, delinquent and resulting from a freely chosen form of idleness. In turn, this harassment contributed to particular cultural expressions that bridled against such treatment. Indeed, it could be reasonably conjectured that it was the very intensity of experiences within the social and political realm that led certain black uh, people to articulate these experiences in song in verse enough, or in short, police harassment, brutality, racism and discrimination. Um, it became quite apparent to black teenagers in the 60s and 70s that the police was uh, the police force was there to kind of act in a, in a sort of quasi colonial manner that um, the police force was there uh, to racially police them and the long history of stop and, stop and search laws and the special patrol group and all that sort of thing uh, would would tend to bear that out. Um, the the difficulty in all of this is that for for many many um, black British people, the that Britain had promised to be a home that it, it failed to become. So, Eddie Chambers writes: Thus far, for black Britain uh, for Britain's black population, the nineteen eighties has proven to be arguably the most creative and significant decade in their history. It was after all a decade that witnessed the astonishing and dynamic emergence of a new generation of black British people, largely born and or brought up in Britain, the children of Caribbean immigrants. These people simultaneously challenged the existing notions of Britishness, 
even as they embodied new, dynamic, late 20th century versions of British identity. Roots and Culture seeks to chronicle the extraordinary blend of social, political and cultural influences of the mid to late 1970s that gave rise to Black Britain in the 1980s. In some ways, this is a story of changing identities, from those imposed or assumed to, to those boldly chosen or embraced. In this compelling narrative, Britain's post-war immigrants most frequently described themselves and were turn, in turn described as West Indians. The dominant or host society was wont to assign this label, not only to immigrants themselves, but perhaps more troublingly to the British children of these immigrants. Well into the 1980s, it was customary for, for press, media and sociologists alike to refer to black Britons of all ages as West Indian, even if they had been born in Great Britain, obviously. In time, black people of a younger generation wrestled themselves free of the term and gravitated instead towards Afro-Caribbean. This embrace of Afro relayed, reflected an earlier embrace of the label in the US, where uh, Afro-American had become a signifier of choice for much of black America. But Afro-Caribbean, much like Afro-American, proved to be a nomenclatural resting place rather than the final destination. And in, the and in time, um, Afro-Caribbean became African-Caribbean or Black British. This book, Roots and Culture, explores the part that culture and the arts played in the fascinating narrative of evolving nomenclature um, and the identities that informed these changes. The British Empire, migration, Rastafari, the anti-apartheid struggle, reggae music, the coming of Margaret Thatcher, and the popular expression of anti-immigrant sentiments, and then ascendancy of the West Indies, uh, and the, the then ascendancy of the West Indies cricket team. All these contrasting factors and others have a part to play in this compelling story. The ways the African diaspora further mutated to give rise to Black Britain. What factors? asks Eddie Chambers. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Led to the proliferation of astonishing countercultural creati creativity among Black Britons during the early 1980s, 
And why did a generation of youngsters born and brought up in Britain emerge into adulthood with such markedly different terms of reference to their white counterparts? This is the core uh, question really for us today. While sharing a number of cultural similarities to, a wide, to the wider social environment, the black British experience took a notable account of um, factors such as black power, Rastafari, countercultural music, and an overarching sense of exile and displacement. This story is perhaps the unlikeliest of origins. The post-war immigration to Britain of tens of thousands of black Caribbean migrants from the late 1940s to the early 1960s. And likely because these immigrants have been brought up and educated to regard themselves not as Caribbean or West Indian or even Jamaican, Trinidadian or Barbadian, or its more uh, popular abbreviation, Bayan, but instead to regard themselves as British, as literal members of the British Empire. They were, after all, moving from one part of the empire to another, to the epicentre of the empire, the mother country. The flag with which they were most familiar was, was the Union flag. The stamps they used bore the head of the British monarch, as did the pounds, shillings and pence used as, the current, as currency. It seems as if uh, anti-black racism in Britain that emerged in the 1940s and 1950s um, was kind of aimed against this this confidence, really. This confidence that um, people from the Caribbean were as sort of sovereign members of the uh, citizens of the empire as anybody else. This idea that the empire was there for people of, of all races um, and that uh, Caribbean people could move to different parts of it if they wished and have the right to be treated as equals when they arrive there. This is something that colonial white British mentalities, not just working class ones, though it was generally the tensions were the most acute when um, Caribbean, uh, Afro-Caribbean people moved into what would have been working class areas, but it wasn't just working class people at all. Um, this sense of, of white entitlement that um, as as the the kind as, as the British Empire as a, a racialized white empire, um, it, it was now being kind of subverted in some way by the the kind of the autonomy and the agency of of others. The school books they had used and um, were those used within or supplied by the British education system, and uh, no end of other aspects of public life bore evidence to the extent to which. English-speaking Caribbean countries were in effect outposts of Britain. Young men and women from various parts of the British Empire had, just a few years earlier, enlisted in Britain's war effort. And these people included significant numbers of, of Caribbean-born people. Despite Marcus Garvey's protestations from 1914 onwards that the world's diasporic Africans should, first and foremost, regard themselves as sons and daughters of, of the African continent, these migrations arrived as British people. Uh, these migrants arrived as British people. They didn't see themselves as Africans. Many of them, knowing as much about and glorying Britain's history, geography, systems of government, sports, and cultural heritage as any white-born British person, Caribbean migrants could and did demonstrate a, um, a profound respect 
admiration and affection for Britain and its major institutions, including the monarchy. Those arriving on the Windrush are often re uh, referred to as Jamaican, though in, actual, in actuality the vessel's passengers came from several different Caribbean countries. Perhaps one of the most distinguished passengers was the Calypsonian, the musician who went by the name of Lord Kitchener. Such lofty monikers were, at the time, not unusual. The celebrated Trinidadian-born Calypsonian had been christened Alwyn Roberts at the time of his birth in 1922, though he became better known by his name, stage name Lord Kitchener, an homage to Field Marshal Lord Horatio Herbert Kitchener, 1st Earl Kitchener, who was born in 1850 and went on to a venerable career and legendary uh, service as a senior British Army officer and colonial administrator. Kitchener, a soldier, when famed throughout the British Empire for the parts he played in British military campaigns in the Sudan, the Boer War and finally World War I. Journalists, photographers and camera crews, one of which filmed an exchange between a reporter and Lord Kitchener, greeted the arrival of the Windrush. When promoted, when prompted a big one by the reporter, Lord Kitchener offered a rendition of his song, London is the place for me, which is easily findable on Spotify and various other platforms. Um, it was a song that was celebrated, uh, that celebrated the extraordinary high esteem in which black sons and daughters of the British Empire, such as these Caribbean migrants, held London. Sang Lord Kitchener, London is the place for me, London this lovely city. You can go to France or America or India, Asia, Australia, but you must come back to London City. Well, believe me, I'm speaking broad-mindedly. I'm glad to know my mother country. I've been travelling to countries years ago, but this is the place I wanted to know. London, that's the place for me. Perhaps, writes uh, Eddie Chambers, the ugly prejudice and discrimination that Caribbean migrants faced was over the horizon because Kitchener's homage to London continued. To live in London, you're really comfortable because the English people are very social, very much social. They take you here and they take you there and London and they make you feel like a millionaire. London is the place for me. So I think I think that's a, a great point just to kind of pause and look at um, this this kind of interesting psychology um, and the, the, these sentiments. It would be easy for us to assume that um, the legacy of slavery um, and the, um, the poverty of the Caribbean would have led to widespread resentment and, you know, an anti-colonial attitude. But in, but in many cases, colonialism doesn't quite work like that. And in many cases, the people who are colonised often form all sorts of unexpected and often quite enthusiastic bonds with the coloniser. Um, in uh, many colonial societies, only a small number of people actually really see themselves as being uh, oppositional to the colonisers and wanting to remove them and willing to, to fight for it. An awful lot of the time, the, the patronage of colonisers gives the colonised uh, all sorts of kind of emotional and um, self uh, em emotional kind of benefits and uh, a sense of, of self worth. How you know whatever we might think of that now, however we might think that this is misplaced or whatever, that's what what seems to sometimes happen. Um, and to be going to London and to be going to 
Great Britain um, was something that was, um, you know, uh, seen as, as kind of a, a positive thing and something that many people from the Caribbean viewed as, as a point of pride. Um, and many people from the Caribbean looked upon George VI and then kind of Elizabeth uh, as uh, being uh, the, the monarchs for whom, whom they served. Uh, and had a great deal of kind of affection for, respect for, um, and belief in uh, the institutions of state and the royal family. Uh, it's possible that there is, uh, amongst many people from uh, the Caribbean community of Britain, a degree of social conservatism, they, who uh, they, they, they viewed um, institutions and tradition as being basically good things. And I suppose it takes the experiences that come after that to actually create a generation of people where that respect for law and order or the trust in the police, the respect in, in traditions and institutions is, is greatly diminished with very, very, very good reason. But we shall come to that. So the, consider this and a few the next few episodes on um, roots and culture, like um, the beginnings of something new that we're doing here. We haven't really looked at uh, Black Britain, looked at Black civil rights in America, but not really at, at Black Britain. Okay, so there we must finish. Now, hopefully, we're not going to have any further technical issues. I'm going to go back when I've got a minute. And tidy up the one or two podcasts that um, have been uh, a bit of a problem this week, put it that way. Um, and I'll catch you all again tomorrow. Um, and tomorrow we will be delving back into looking at war reporting in the Soviet Union during the Second World War. Thanks very much, everybody. Take good care. And I'll catch you all again on tomorrow's episode of the Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.